Won't you pray with me? Dear God, this day we come because our soul thirsts for you. Our flesh faints for you as in a barren and dry land. So God, this morning as we enter into this soul excavating time together, be with us. Open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears to see, hear, and understand you in ways we haven't before. And give us, O oh God, the courage to heed and to obey. It is in the name of your Son who came that we might even pray this prayer that we all say together, Amen. You may be seated. So this morning, I invite you to join with me in thought and reflection on the topic, or rather the question, can you handle the truth? I'm sure some of you are thinking that I'm referring to the famous line that actor Jack Nicholson says in A Few Good Men. But I'm actually referring to our gospel text today. In Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, Jesus is speaking to us with some hard truths. So spoiler alert, today's text contains some hard truths about Jesus' charge for us all. The text is not one that will make you feel nice and cozy. It's one that will make you uncomfortable. You might even shift a little in your seats, tune in or even perhaps tune out because you don't want to hear it. But I invite you this morning to lean in with me nonetheless because I do believe that as we explore this text together, we will find it life-giving and when heeded, the truth shall set us free. So in today's text, a group of folks come to Jesus and talk to him initially about a very tragic event where Pilate killed many Galileans. But in response to their question to Jesus about those who have died, Jesus doesn't dwell on the tragedy, but rather turns his focus to them and says, repent or you will perish. He then doubled down, and after raising another event about the Tower of Shalom that fell and killed many, he doesn't dwell again on that event or that tragedy, but he turns the spotlight back to them. He turns the mirror onto them and says once again, repent or perish. Jesus doesn't stop there. He then shines a light on his audience again, when he shares the parable about a fig tree. And he talks about how God, the vineyard owner, confronts the gardener, who is symbolic of Jesus, about a fig tree that is not producing fruit. And he says, I've come and looked at this tree for over three years, and yet and still the tree is not producing fruit. So he says, cut it down with an exclamation point. But the gardener pleads and petitions to allow the tree to stay at least one more year. 
He promises to fertilize it and see if it can then produce fruit. But if not, cut it down. Goodness. He makes it abundantly clear that God is not in favor of unproductive fig trees. Of course, in this parable, the unproductive fig tree represents the people of Israel, the audience that he's speaking to in the text, and the audience that he's speaking to today. During this season of Lent, this season of reflection, this text turns a mirror towards us and invites us to not only see our truths, but to handle them with courage and repentance when needed. As we explore this text, many of us, rather than delve into how it impacts us personally, would rather shine the light on all of the things that are going on around us. And, and, and they're valid. They're, there's pain and trauma. There's a barren and a dry land. And yet today, through this text, Jesus wants to talk to you and to me. So as we explore this pointed and directive text to turn, the, the, the call to turn toward the hard truth of our need to repent, let us remember that ultimately the truth can set us free, free to live an authentic and productive life that opens us up to a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever think, ask, or imagine. During Lent, this season that we're in, we have an opportunity to turn towards God and come face to face with our truths for purposes of today's discussion. Let me, let, me, let me set the debaters at risk. I'm not talking about the philosophical definitions of truth today. But rather, I invite us to focus in on the truth that God's passionate love for us is everlasting. The truth of our frail humanity and our sin. The truth that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. The truth that realizing that in God there's no such thing as a white lie. We like to dumb down the truth, play down the truth, cover up the truth, use other words for lies, because we don't want to necessarily focus on the truth before us. We have to realize the truth of a God who desires truth and honesty in our inward parts, the truth that we can do more to draw closer to God, to abide with God, the truth of our own complicity in harming another person or in creating narratives or systems or policies that harm other people. The ugliness of our lying tongues. We, we don't talk like that in church. We, we fancy that up. The cowardness and cowardice of our silence in the face of injustice. The truth about the historical realities that shape our current social, political, and economic context in our communities, our city, our state, our nation, these truths inform our confession. You know, confession is a part of our prayer life. I always used to wonder, why is it with, that with this, this, this all-knowing God, do we have to confess 
I mean, do we really have to talk about it? God, you already know all things. And then, of course, we're reminded that confession is not for God. Confession is for us. Can we face the truth of our sin? Can we face the true realities that are before us? Or are we going to protest them away? Are we going to politic them away? During the past two years of this polypandemic moment, we've had to come face to face with some hard truths. Hard truths about our country's healthcare system, educational disparities, the cause of some of the pre-existing conditions to the pre-existing conditions, the truth about the systemic racism in our country and our own lack of understanding of the complexities and the causes and consequences of that racism. As disciples of a living God, our witness in the earth compels us to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. We have to come face to face with our truth and our role as the church in reconciling ourselves and the body of Christ to God. I hear Niebuhr saying not only Christ in, over culture, but church over culture, culture in church. Sunday, as Dr. King pointed out decades ago, remains one of the most segregated days, 9 a.m., 10 a.m., 11 a.m., when we're in church, than any other day in the country. And how can we digest that as we take communion in the body of Christ? When we're divided and yet we celebrate union. If the mirror was held up to the church, what truths would we need to face? Capital C church, lowercase c church. What truths would we need to be willing to look in the mirror and see and come face to face with? Reverend Jim Wallace, the author and the preacher and now the inaugural chair and founding director of the Center on Faith and Justice at Georgetown University's McCourt School of Public Policy says that as Christians, we must join in the detoxifying of our churches. He says that that detoxifying of our churches must entail detoxifying the racism and the allegiance to white supremacy within our churches so that we can go forth as witnesses in the contexts in which we serve. Dr. Wallace says white supremacy has always been the big lie of the United States. That some of God's children are superior or inferior to other people and that the former are therefore justified in dominating the latter by any means necessary. That lie, he says, is an idol. And idols separate people from God. He goes on to say that detoxifying our churches from racism will require discipling our churches out of sinful racism and back to Jesus Christ. That will take preaching from all of our pulpits against America's original sin of racism, teaching the truth, not just about American history, 
but also about our racialized church history. Dr. Wallace says, learning how racism is not just personal, but also systemic and challenging the deep heresies of privatized religion in America, something that we've often used to cover up our social and structural sins. Hard truth. Reconciliation requires the truth. In these conversations on race and divisiveness, in our context, we love to rush to reconciliation. Let's reconcile. Let's get it all right. Let's make it nice and neat and move on. But we cannot reconcile without the truth, without the confession of our own complicity in the truth that we see. No amount of politicking and protesting will remove the truth of the history in this country, our community, that people to this day continue to suffer from. We see this work and conversation churning in various settings today. Thank God we see it churning here at All Saints through the work that we're doing in racial equity and healing, through the work of our sacred ground modules, through the pilgrimage that we're preparing to take in June to the Legacy Museum in Montgomery where we will come face to face with the history of this country and the lynching of thousands because of the color of their skin. We see this work witnessed in the great work led by Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in post-apartheid South Africa. We see the work that Brian Stevenson is doing in Montgomery, where he's built a memorial that tells us the uncomfortable and ugly truth of our history in this country. And he says that he believes that publicly confronting the truth about our history is the first step towards recovery and reconciliation. When we come face to face with these hard truths, we can't avoid or deny them. Rather, we are compelled into repentance. Jesus tells us through this text today to repent or perish. When we look into God's truth mirror, we are compelled to repent. Repentance involves a turning away from sin and a turning back to God. It includes a changed mind and a transformed heart that opens us once again to the life-changing and affirming love of our God. Repentance leads to a new perspective on life, a reoriented self with a humility born out of the recognition of one's limitations and vulnerabilities because this work is work that we cannot do alone. With this turning to God, this repenting, we are assured of forgiveness that our sins will be wiped out. We have to be more courageous and call out sin. We, we must not be drawn to a watered-down gospel that is more focused on making us comfortable rather than transforming hearts and minds. When we do so, we become a fig tree that produces no fruit. If we try to cover our sin, pretend that it is not there, create narratives that try to discredit it rather than face it, we cheapen repentance and attempt to lessen the need for the forgiveness that God promises us 
and then ultimately cheapen the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. Our sin is so horrible that it required God to become flesh on earth to then allow himself to be tortured, hung on a cross, and bleed to death and die so that we could be forgiven. We cheapen that sacrifice when we deny the truth of our context in our lives. We can't become so comfortable with our sin that we don't repent. This repentance leads to a refreshed intimacy and connection with God. What do you need to repent of? The text begs the question. What do we need to seek God's forgiveness for? It is when we realize our imperfections that we can draw closer to God. We see this modeled by David, the apple of God's eye, who sinned, who wasn't perfect. When he cries out and leans on the mercy of God in Psalm 51, he says, Oh God, have mercy on me according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He pleads to God to create in me a clean heart and put a new and right spirit within me. God, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. The depth of our relationship with Christ is directly linked and connected to our honesty about our own sinfulness. So, I know you shifted in your seats a little. I know this is a lot. That's why I'm also grateful that today's text gives us some good news. The text doesn't only shine a light on the hard truths of our falling short or being unfruitful. It doesn't only pointedly and directly tell us to repent or perish. It doesn't end with fire and brimstone. No, it ends with good news. In the parable of the fig tree, when the gardener, Jesus, pleads to give the fig tree another chance, God relents and allows grace to take hold. When all of our sin would try to lead us to death and stagnation, God grants us more time to get it right. God gives us the grace to repent and to reconcile, to become fruitful and productive. Glory to our living God. I don't know about you, but that makes me so glad and so grateful that the grace of God can give us space to repent, to reconcile, and to get it right. The grace of God gives us another chance. I, I need another chance. I, I don't know about you, but it is so good to know that the God we serve, who sits high, does look low, and gives you a second chance. Anybody need a second chance? He gives you a third chance. Does anybody need a third chance? Oh, maybe you're up to ten. Thank God for God's grace, God's amazing grace, God's unmerited favor, a favor towards us who are unworthy. Aren't you glad that God loves you in spite of you? Are you 
humble enough to realize you don't get it right all the time, that but for God, you would not have all that you have. God's amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and like you. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now, whether I like it or not, I see. So under this grace, we have more time to get it right. To be whom God called us to be in this moment. There's a caveat to the grace. It's there and it's offered. But he gave the gardener one year. And I think that's our call today. To take hold of the words of Dr. King, who reminds us of the fierce urgency of now. It is the time when tomorrow becomes today. Today is Legacy Sunday. Let us commit today to be fiercely urgent and brave enough to face the hard, sometimes ugly truths, to be compelled and repent and offer grace as grace has been offered us. Archbishop Desmond Tutu says it this way, do your little bit of good where you are. It's those little bits of good put together that overwhelm the world. Lord, through us, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen.